This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I want to invite you, please, to take your Bibles, and we're going to begin today in the book of 1 Chronicles, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 12. The message today will be primarily directed to you men. The rest of you listen in because there's a lot of application for you as well. The past week, several of our pastoral staff had the privilege of attending the 100th gathering of the Foundations Baptist Fellowship International. 100 years ago this year, a group of godly pastors separated from the Northern Baptist Convention because of what came to be known as the fundamentalist or biblicist modernist controversy. In the Northern Baptist Convention, uh, there were those, including some very wealthy financiers, who uh, were promoting false doctrine, questioning the virgin birth, inspiration of the scripture, and it was well financed. But it was choking the life out of Northern Baptist churches in the convention and their missionary efforts. In fact, it's interesting to note that with what became the Fundamental Baptist Fellowship and then the Foundations Baptist Fellowship, uh, that uh, these conservatives were driven by the concern for a pure gospel and the impact that wrong teaching would have on worldwide evangelism. And so they split away. The modernists were turning away from the scripture and men of God stood up and said, this has to stop. You're here today in part because godly men, many of their names, if I began to state those names, you would recognize those names. They stood for the Lord and God has continued to do a mighty work now in independent Baptist churches across this country. Uh, the FBFI is not the only fellowship. There are other good, solid fellowships. In fact, Pastor Radice, as I mentioned, my prayer will be speaking to one of those up in New England next week, or this, this coming week. But God raises up men of God who will stand for truth no matter what the cost. The preaching we heard last week centered on this theme, understanding our times. The theme verse was 1 Chronicles 12, and look at verse 32. That was the theme verse. 1 Chronicles 12, 32 says this, And the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, the heads or the chiefs of them were 200. 200 men of God. And all their brethren were at their commandment. 
In other words, these men led out. The rest of the tribe followed what they were doing. Now, this was a time, a dark time in Israel's history. King Saul and his sons had been killed on Mount Gilboa earlier. The Philistines, other enemies, had run of the land. It was just a, such a sad, tragic time. We could draw parallels from their time and our time. But these men in Issachar knew what to do. Concerning what? Well, God's will. And what was that? Look at verse 31. It tells us. It mentions the half-tribe of Manasseh, which were expressed by name to come and make David king. The point was, David had been anointed to be king. Saul had interfered with that for years. Now Saul's gone. Others were trying to continue Saul's family, being on the throne in Israel. But the men of Issachar understood, no, wait a minute. God has called David to be our next king. We need to rally around God's will and God's man. And God used that to help David get from Hebron to Jerusalem and to establish the kingdom. Israel's restoration as a nation happened because the chief men of Issachar had understanding. They knew what God wanted. They were willing to follow what God had already revealed in His will. And the other men were willing to follow those men. Now, not only was this important in David's day, it's also critical in our day. And God has burdened me this morning to preach on this theme, this Father's Day. Here's the point. We need men of God who are willing to follow the will of God to navigate through this time that we live in. I don't have to remind us that we are living in very difficult days. When the pastors that we were with uh, at the conference this past week, the sons of the men who lost their churches, were involved in that controversy, stood for truth. Their sons were there. When those men are saying, we've never seen a time like this in our nation, they're not overstating it. Under Saul's lack of spiritual leadership, Israel was overrun by her enemies. I would tell you this morning, our nation is being overrun by enemies from within. Not opinions, enemies. What's the answer? Men who understood the times and were willing to turn back to following God's revealed will with all their hearts. Later on, we, I'm not going to preach a message out of 1 Chronicles 12, but it talks about those who had perfect hearts to follow David. They completely gave their heart to God's will so that David was established as king. God says in Ezekiel 22 and verse 30, this is a later desperate time in Israel's history when great empires now were going to take Israel into captivity for her disobedience. Ezekiel 22:30 says this, And I saw for a man among them that should make up the hedge. Do you know that God believes in borders? The hedge here was not a physical border. It's talking about spirit, securing spiritual borders. 
and stand in the gap before me in the land that I should not destroy it. Hearts had turned away from the Lord. God said, I'm looking for a man. And the verse ends, but I found none. Dr. Mark Minnick, who pastors Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina, preached a message this week entitled, The Man of God in Perilous Times. God really touched my heart in that message. And I've developed the text more to challenge you dads and this dad this Father's Day. I don't know if you are aware, but the population of our planet is exploding. Every new soul born is another fallen sinner who will go astray from the Lord unless changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't have to tell you that we are outnumbered. Physically, in the physical sense. Had a man, one of the deacons up at the church where the wedding was, and I pastored up there for nine years. We were just talking about things, and he said, you know, you preached something years ago that has stayed with me. And, and I, I'm looking at him, and he said, you said, you reminded us that we are a remnant. Well, that wasn't original with me. The scripture shows us that we're a remnant. God tells us that narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting. And how many are on that road? Few. So we are a remnant. Now, I look out today, and there's a lot of the remnant here. Praise the Lord. But the reality is, as the population continues to grow and explode, and by the way, we're not going to run out of room on the planet. God knew what he was doing when he made the earth big enough to sustain mankind until his, God's plan is fulfilled. All right, But uh, there are a lot of sinners running, billions of them down here. Now, compounding the problem is the fact that our race is networked globally. Preachers last week, our pastoral staff have talked about this. We are losing the generations coming behind us, and, and we, can, we can talk about why that's the case. I was sharing on the way back yesterday, though, with, with two of my young ladies. I said, I, I, Dad can't exactly define this, but I believe it to my core. The reason we're use, losing the generations coming behind us is because of this world networking. It's called World Wide Web, and if we're thinking spiritually, it should make you think of a spider wanting to eat whatever gets in that net, right? Um, it's, it's interesting. The world, the world doesn't always think about the names that they give things. But there is one of the uh, internet uh, providers, it's called Yahoo. You ever thought about that? There were times that my dad would look at me and say, you're a Yahoo. <laughs> he was not complimenting me. <laughs> and you know what, there are a lot of Yahoos getting on Yahoo doing things that displease the Lord and are hurting them. We're a bunch of Yahoos. I believe that the generations following us would be helped, and we'd be helped, if we just started unplugging things. The 
generations going behind us can't think for themselves. Somebody has a dumb idea and a bunch of other people think it's, the good, it's a good idea to follow the dumb idea and then it becomes mainstream and, well, maybe there's something to that. No, there's not. But we're all connected. And, and can I just say this? I'm not trying to be unkind, but again, if you're thinking scripturally, this takes us right back to the days of Babel. At the time God declared in Genesis 11:6, Behold, the people is one, and nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Now, was that a good thing? No. How do we know? God stopped the communication. He divided those languages, and they went throughout the earth, and that was just a stopgap measure to stop the corruption. What were they trying to do? Build a tower to heaven. They wanted to become God. So God disconnected their power to communicate. Since that time, God has once again, or I'm sorry, since that time, man has once again been in peril on this earth. The history of civilization isn't civil. We had a civil war in this country. Kind of amuses me. It wasn't civil. Yes, it did involve brothers fighting against brothers, but it was carnage. Having said that, would you turn now with me to 2 Timothy 3, where Paul makes a prediction that was true of his time and of our time. 2 Timothy 3, look at verse 1. This know also. Here's the idea. Be assured of this, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Perilous times. The same word translated perilous is found in Matthew 8, 28. We won't necessarily turn there. But it's the only other time that that word that's translated perilous is used in the New Testament. In Matthew 8, 28, it's not translated perilous. It's the account of two maniacs who were possessed by devils who came out to see Jesus. Only in Matthew 8, 28, here's what the word is translated. It's translated fierce. It's the idea of savage. So let's apply that to 2 Timothy 3. In the last days, fierce and savage times are coming. Are we living in that today? Oh, yeah. The violence in our streets, much of it perpetrated by youth, and by the way, excused by those who are older. Only the light and power of Christ could help those demon-possessed men. Sadly, when the demons left the men and went into the swine, remember that, and the pigs run down the hill into the water and are drowned, the locals all rejoiced because these men had been helped from their savage, fierce condition. No, they didn't. Here's what they did. They said to Jesus, hey, uh, you're not welcome here. Can you leave, please? 
What an indictment on the human heart still blinded by sin. Christians who are proclaiming the liberating truth of the gospel, redemption, as the men sang just a little while ago. Those of us who believe in the Ten Commandments, you know, if you keep the Ten Commandments, you're a good neighbor. You don't steal, covet, lie. That's a good neighbor. But who's public enemy number one on this earth? Anyone who's following Jesus Christ. We need in our churches to be lights in the darkness, but our young people and families are proof that our churches are inundated by worldliness. What is the solution? Well, the Bible reveals what God always does in these perilous, treacherous times. He raises up a man of God in homes, in churches, and in the nation. So think back through your Bible. In really, really bad times, what did God do? He raised up a man, a prophet. A... Many times, guys, they were young men. They stood on a field of battle to face a giant. He raised up a man of God. In 1 Timothy 6.11, Paul says that there was a man of God in a very wicked city called Ephesus. 1 Timothy 6, notice verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of honor. And that is not the verse that I was looking for. <laughs> All right, well, it's where Paul calls Timothy a man of God. Why Timothy? Well, Timothy pastored the church in Ephesus for a short time. But what was the answer to the sin in, in Ephesus? It, it was a man of God leading the people of God, and what a difference it made in that city. A strong church was established. Look at verse 11. That was the verse I was looking for. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Flee these things. Now throughout Israel's history the church and church history, and when I think about church history, we look back at the Reformation. What did God do to penetrate the darkness that was the false doctrine of Rome? He raised up men of God. We know them as reformers. We know them as Anabaptists. During the great awakenings in this country, God would raise up a man of God, a Jonathan Edwards, to proclaim truth. In England, the Wesleys. And today, God wants to raise up men of God. For you men who will determine to be men of God in your personal lives, in your homes, in the sphere where God's given you influence, here are five truths that you need to know to understand the times. And we'll move through these quickly. Again, back in 2 Timothy chapter 3, just be reminded of this. These are simple. God told us these times would come. God said this would happen. 
This know also. And then he says that these last days would be characterized, as we saw the meaning of the word, by fierce, savage times. The expression in the last days, though, used five times in our New Testament, refers to, and the Lord makes this very clear, the time of Pentecost until now. In fact, in Acts 2.17, Paul, uh, Peter is preaching at Pentecost, and he says, The Lord has told us that in these last days, and he continues his message. He's talking about the church age. All through the church age, one characteristic has been true. Throughout the church age, the times have been fierce against the saints of God. Would you, would you agree with that? Has there ever been a time on this earth since Pentecost where there has been no persecution of Christians? If you think that, you need to go back and study church history. All right, so God told us these times would come. That means, secondly, God is looking for men who refuse to conform to their culture. Now, what makes the difference? You're in 2 Timothy. Notice chapter 3 and verse 10. But thou hast fully known my, what? My doctrine. It's, it's teaching. Paul is saying, you know what I have taught. And of course, this was under inspiration. This was the word of God. Paul didn't say, rethink my doctrine. He said, you have known the doctrine. He is saying, you have known my teaching and you've known me. Now follow what you know. He reminded the Romans in Romans uh, 12 and verse 1 to present their bodies a living sacrifice. You know what that means? Take what you know and have it change what you do with your body. So in other words, the teaching of Scripture is not just intended to affect the inside of us, it's intended to change the outside of us. The church today doesn't want to think that way. Well, I love God, I know His Word, it's all right here. God says it needs to come out of us and be seen by the world. Righteousness isn't just internal. It impacts what we do with our bodies as we allow the doctrine to transform us. So we practice the perfect will of God. Dr. Minnick reminded us that without being anchored to God's truth, the believer will continue to drift in his or her actions based on the opinions of others and what feels good. So every Lord's Day, we have thousands and thousands of Christians who go into church, they come as they are and they leave as they were. Because the word of God coming from the man of God is not rebuking and exhorting with all long-suffering and doctrine. That's what Paul told Timothy to do. But the man of God cannot be conformed to the culture. If we give lip service and some time to worshiping the Lord, 
And there are Christians that are in the, in the habit of once or twice a month they'll worship with the people of God. They can do that, feel good about themselves, go on, to, as the scripture says, to establish their own righteousness, but their lives are often characterized by convenient disobedience. I'll, I'll share a burden with, with you that I have that other pastors have. Christianity got convenient during COVID. Now, there were times we couldn't be here. There were times that you had to be home and it was okay that you were in your pajamas sipping coffee in front of the big screen. Well, I had to wear this, okay? <laughs> I, I'm not complaining. But you know what? It can't stay that way. And we're watching closely to see whether men of God are committed to God and whether they're going to buck the culture or they're going to live this convenient disobedience we can't afford it men now, this brings us to the third truth for men of God he told us that our times what our times would be like that he's looking for nonconformists to the culture who know and apply doctrine but the Holy Spirit takes it one step further the man of God number three must be willing to imitate Paul's life did you know that Paul is the only Bible writer to whom the Holy Spirit gave permission to say, follow me? Now remember, he, he wasn't saying, I'm somebody special, follow me. He would say, follow me as I follow Christ. But about 13 times in your New Testament, Paul is given permission to say, do what I'm doing. Again, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. You've fully known my doctrine. What's next? My manner of life. The fact that I lived with purpose. Exercise faith. In doing that, in all that, practice long suffering, charity, and patient endurance. We're going to stop right there for a moment. The man of God must be prepared to follow all that Paul did, that godly life. So we talked about the body. The Bible says that our whole body and our spirit are to be conformed to the image of Christ. So our disposition, one of the reasons that we have young people that struggle, not always, and I, I don't know that it's even most of the time, though young people like to grab onto this and excuse whatever they're doing. Sometimes. But you can have the right position, doctrine, but the wrong disposition. And when we present truth, men of God, to those that we influence, we need to do, we need to speak that truth in love. Be long suffering. As a dad, I can tell you I don't like repeating myself. Sometimes you say the same thing over and over when it comes to chores, make your bed, you know, like, oh, new rule, make your bed. <laughs> but then the Holy Spirit reminds me, have I ever had to repeat myself to you, Mike? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it's a soft, gentle voice. All right, so we need to follow Paul's example. Man of God, his doctrine, his demeanor. Now, with all this in mind, we come to our final truth. The man of God must proclaim with authority God's word even in affliction. All right, so he's got to proclaim God's word. Notice what it says in verse 11. Or, I'm sorry, chapter 4 and verse 2. I charge thee also before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing uh, and his kingdom. Preach the word. Amen? We can't declare the word of God unless we know the word of God. A functional working understanding of what God has said. <clears throat> so the man of God needs to proclaim God's word. And he needs to be willing to do it even in the face of persecution and affliction. Go back to chapter 3, verse 11. Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. And, and Paul talks about this, and he starts naming places where Paul knew what had happened in those places. He was there, some of them. And he remembers the direct persecution because the truth was being proclaimed. God will call on the man of God to suffer for him. And he'll go on in the text and say in verse 12, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. What doesn't prepare us sometimes as men who are trying to follow the Lord is where the persecution, where the resistance comes from. Let me just say this, men. Sometimes that resistance will come from your own children. But you still need to be a man of God. They're being fed nonsense from the world. And you can help them by limiting and even unplugging as needed. But as they push back, and, and you and I push back when our dads told us stuff, remember... But that doesn't change what you believe if it's from God. Stand your ground. Do your job. Be a man. A man of God. Now why is it so important that we know God's word and then proclaim it? Go back to 4 and 2. Verse, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee. Therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Here's why we proclaim the word of God. The king is coming in judgment. One of the things that helps me stand my ground, regardless of who I'm talking to, but especially when I'm talking to my family, is because I can't be concerned with whether or not my family, my church, my community approve of me. I have to be consumed with whether those who I am supposed to influence are ready to be examined 
by God. I don't care what my children think of me. I care what, they, what God's going to think when they're looking him in the eye. I don't care so much what my church thinks of me. You are gracious and you put up with a lot. But you know what I'm concerned about? What your time before the Savior is going to be like and what he thinks. And by the way, Paul did say, if you stand before the Lord and I've done my job and you're not ready, you haven't submitted to the truth that's been proclaimed from this desk, if you don't do that, God says that's not going to be good for you. Because not only is the Lord going to hold you accountable for what you did for your Lord, but he's also going to probably say something like this. Did you not have a pastor who watched for your soul? Uh, well, I'm not sure. I only made about a quarter of the services at my church. You're going to have to be honest about that. You ha so you had an under-shepherd who was watching for your soul. Or you had a godly dad, godly mom. They were watching for your soul. And what did you do with that truth? Now, he's working to help you here, well done, good and faithful servant. But I will tell you, that's my heart. That's, first of all, that's my heart for every member of my family. And that's my heart for this church family. So let's close. What is the answer to the darkness in our day? Well, we need, we need national revival. And that can happen, but that's not always what God did. In fact, it's not most of the time what God did. You know what he did? He raised up a man of God, like Paul, like Jeremiah, like Elijah. And they proclaimed truth. So ultimately, as the man of God absorbs the scriptures, he's renewed by the fact that along with all the other men of God in Scripture throughout history, that the man of God's doctrine and his life will be vindicated by the God that he followed. Oh, but it's so hard and there's so much resistance and I feel alone, but you will be vindicated. The Word of God stands forever. And so do those who follow it. Ultimately, every knee will bow and declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let me give you the title of today's message. Here's the title, Needed, Men of God in Perilous Times. Don't lose heart about all the things that are happening. Oh, no, it's, it feels like a tidal wave. It, it, just, it feels like we're not making a difference. Stop. What's God's answer? Men, and by the way, you can see this in Scripture, sometimes women of God who stood their ground, spoke the truth in love, and even in their own living, their lives, their testimonies, they were nonconformists. They were not going to become like the culture. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are on that path. Most Americans are on that path. So on that path, 
crossing that path, I should say, should be some men and women of God who are willing to say, stop. The bridge is out. Destruction awaits. Turn to Christ. Let's close. Father, thank you for the words of Paul and the example of Paul to Timothy. Lord, I believe this morning that your will is for the men who know you in this assembly to stand up and be men of God. And so, Lord, would you do that work in our hearts today? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I don't normally do this in a service, but I want to ask how many of you men today would be willing in just a moment to stand right where you're at as a public testimony to the Lord and then through his power to live it out before your families. Would you be willing to stand and say, I will be that man of God. If that's your heart, through the power of the Holy Spirit to follow the example of Paul and the truths that we've looked at today, would you be willing to stand, men, as public testimony? God, by your grace, I'm going to be a man of God. Just stand up right where you're at. Lord, you see the men that are standing here. Lord, would you bless them. The will is present with us. Every man wants to be what, what we've seen in Scripture today. But Lord, would you bless these men. Give them the grace to know your word, to proclaim your word, to live your word, even in the face of persecution and resistance. And Lord, would you vindicate them? Your truth won't return void. And Father, would you help those that they lead to follow them as they follow Christ? In Jesus' name, you men can be seated. I wonder this morning if there are some God brought you under conviction, maybe a young person, maybe a young adult, maybe a spouse. That as we looked at these things, you've had to confess to the Lord. And our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed still, but you've had to confess to the Lord. I've got a man of God in my life. Other than Jesus, there's never been a perfect man of God, but I've got a man of God in my life. And as he's tried to direct me and help me in the way of the Lord, I've resisted that. Maybe you've made it hard for a mom or a dad. Maybe you had a godly friend who tried to lead you that way, and you're no longer friends because... You didn't want to hear what they had to say in love to you. How many today would say, and you don't have to raise your hand, but would say to the Lord, 
Father, thank, uh, thank you for those who have tried to influence me for you and forgive me for resisting that truth. If that's happened in your life, would you confess that to the Lord now? Then I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. Go to those that you've resisted. Ask them to forgive you. They weren't speaking on their behalf. They were speaking on God's behalf. Ask them to forgive you. And then thank them for their influence. If you're willing to do that, would you tell the Lord that right now? Now, Father, thank you again for your, for your word. And Lord, would you enable leaders and would you enable followers to walk in the footsteps of Christ and those who are trying to encourage others to Christ. And God, give us wisdom against the culture. Lord, Satan's a deceiver and he can twist truth and he can make lies sound appealing. And Father, it's not just the world that's buying in. A lot in the church are too. And they're going to pay a terrible price for doing so. Because only the truth can set us free. So give us discernment. Would you protect us? Turn hearts back to yourself. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Toward the hope of our high calling. Toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.